Hey guys, this is lesson three of the GOAT series that's been recorded live on Facebook and transposed over to our podcast. Congratulations on making it this far. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. We pray that it's sparked conversation and hopefully uh, given a glimpse into the context of the Bible, as well as helping you to understand that the concept of justice and righteousness is a major theme in the Bible. Um, pray that you enjoy this next lesson and have a good time. Good evening, everyone. I'm running a little bit late. I've put a lot of time into this lesson this afternoon, been reworking it, working on some different things, uh, wanting to come across clear tonight. So um, I'm going to be talking this evening, this is the third lesson of the GOAT series, and I'm going to be talking about the uh, concept of justice and the prophets. And I want to be abundantly clear this evening because um, this is a pretty major concept, and there's going to be some things in this that may be um, a little bit uncomfortable for some people to listen to. And so what I ask you to do humbly, as I've had to do with Scripture, is I leave any preconceived notions and ideas at the door when I'm reading the Bible. I'm leaving my culture, I'm leaving my thinking, all of that at the door, and I'm trying to get my mind to fit into the frame of the Bible and trying to fit its context. So I ask you to do the same, and I'm not asking you to take my word for anything. I'm going to present you with the context. You can go study it out and see if the context is right. I'm presenting you with scriptures. I'm leaving the scriptures up to you to go see if they are uh, in context. All of this is up to you, and I'm not making anybody trying to see my side. I'm just wanting to present um, the Word of God, and um, that's what I want to do in this lesson. Uh, I think that that's a good practice with all of us. And, you know, Take it, uh, go and search it out, see it for yourself. So I invite you to do that. And I'm going to go ahead and um, I'm going to get started on this uh, tonight. So I want to take a brief moment and explain the structure of the Old Testament from a Jewish perspective, as I feel it's important to understanding the topic of discussion uh, that we're going to be discussing tonight. The entirety of the Jewish Bible, which consists of Genesis through Malachi, is known as the Tanakh. That's it's a Hebrew acronym given to the entirety of the Old Testament. So it's, it's Tanakh because it's, it's an acronym. It's uh, Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then we have the, Nach, the, the second part, which is the Nevi'im. That is the prophets. That is the ones who are uh, sent to proclaim. And then we have the Ketuvim. That is the writings in the canonical part of the Bible. Uh, you know, first, second Kings, first, second Chronicles, you know, Psalms, uh, Ecclesiastes, Ruth, even all of those are in there. And to all of this combined makes the Tanakh or the entirety of the Old Testament. Um, my Jewish teacher tells me he doesn't like uh, Old Testament because it makes it sound irrelevant. And I often hear him referring to it as the first Testament. And so in the spirit of my teacher, I'm just going to go ahead and call it the First Testament because it's not irrelevant. It is trying to show us something grand leading to the uh, New Testament. So 
The reason I bring this up and the structure of the uh, First Testament, the Tanakh, is because Mishpat and Sedekah, which again, if you're just tuning in, that is justice and righteousness in our English language. It is a major theme in all three categories of the Tanakh, the Old Testament, First Testament. That's Genesis through Malachi. It is the major theme. It, I'm not going to say it is the only theme. The Bible is telling us a lot of things. But when you start reading it, you cannot deny. I'm going to start my timer, by the way. You cannot deny that it is a major, major theme in the Bible. So um, I, I want to show that because I'm, I'm going to talk about, now last lesson, the, the justice and the law, we discussed the Torah, the first section of the First Testament. And now tonight I'm going to discuss the second section of the First Testament, which is the Nevi'im, the prophets. So the first time that we see Mishpats uh, in the Torah, we discussed it last week, is in Genesis 18. And it says, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised him. So we discussed that particular scripture in the last lesson, Justice and the Law. And God was seeing all the injustice that was going on in the world. And he calls Abram out of Ur. And he says, I, I need a person to represent who I am in this world so that I can show this, this unjust, corrupted world what I'm like. And the cool thing about God is he has always chosen people because that's what his image is. We were made in his image and he's always chosen his image to herald who he is in the world. And so with that, I want to challenge you. We need to stop saying, why does God allow these things in the world? This isn't a God problem. This is God's image problem. We are not upholding who God is in the world. The things going on in our world is because of people not being in the image of God. So uh, just I'll talk about that in greater detail in another series I'm writing on the kingdom. But he called Abram out and he said, I'm going to establish a nation of new natured people through you, through your sons and through their sons and their sons and their sons from every generation. You will see what I'm like through people. And the way God did this is he gives Moses, as we discussed in the last lesson, he gives him five of the um, 10 commandments. That was like a peace treaty between God and man. And then he gives five more, which is like a constitution between man and man. And what this does, and Jesus actually references this, and we'll talk about that in lesson four of this series, but Jesus is showing this. Those laws were given to, to make sure that we uphold the integrity of the image of God, which is us. Don't, don't cheat on your neighbor's wife. Don't uh, steal. Don't murder. All of that is pertaining to protecting the sanctity of God's image. So they were delivered from the from Egypt, which was rasha or wicked, the antithesis to just. And they're taken out of there. They're, they're turned into a nation of people. And God says, okay, I'm going to show the world what I'm like through a nation of people. They were to allow. Now, please, please understand this. I'm going to say some things that are going to probably shake a lot of things that some have posted on social media in years past. Uh, they were to allow immigrants into their borders. This was a major concept. That's the whole book of Ruth. Okay. An immigrant was allowed into the nation. Why? Because there would be people in other corrupt nations and they would look at the, the, uh, the integrity of Israel, the mishpat and the, the righteousness of Israel. And they would say, oh, I long to be a part 
of a nation that is so good. What makes this nation like this? And they would say, this is because of our God. We represent our God in the earth. That is why this nation is so great. These immigrants would long, and God clearly says, allow immigrants into this just nation because you too were once a foreigner in Egypt. It's a major theme, okay? Again, I'm not trying to make justice and righteousness the only theme of the Bible, but it is a major theme. So uh, Israel was cutting edge because no other nation in the world was just and righteous like Israel was. And they would be highly desirable to other people and they would want to migrate to Israel and they were welcomed in freely. And part of the quartet of the vulnerables that I discussed last week was the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the poor. Are we limited to those four? Are those the only four that are vulnerable? No, this is who was vulnerable in, a, um, in an agricultural society. These were the ones who were, were vulnerable in a patriarchal society. I challenge you yet again, don't limit yourself to these four being the only vulnerable. Look in our society today and ask yourself, who is vulnerable? So Israel finally moves into their promised land after wandering in the wilderness under the leadership of Joshua. They move in to the promised land and through Joshua, they begin to divvy up the land to the 12 tribes of Israel or the 11 tribes. The 12th tribe of Levi doesn't get land because their inheritance was the presence of God as we discussed. And as we've seen in the past through the wilderness, Israel has a propensity for being rebellious uh, as we're dealing with imperfect people. Okay, that's, that's what we're intended to see when we read the First Testament. People are imperfect and in need of something to give them power. One of the prophets says that, God, we can't do all these laws. We need you to remove our heart of stone and replace it with fleshly hearts and write those laws upon our heart. They were saying, we're incapable of doing this. We need your spirit. So major theme leading up to the, the New Testament. So God raises up judges because there's a propensity for rebellion. And judges come along to hold this rebellious, uh, these rebellion or these rebellious people accountable. There was a major theme of accountability through the judges. Uh, Joshua and the judges begins the books of the Nevi'im. Okay, this is where the prophetic books start. And the judges, as I said, would hold people accountable to justice. They would come as reminders, as herald or heralders saying, let's not get away from what we've been called to do to represent God amongst the nations. This is what the ministry in the Old Testament, First Testament was all about. So everything is going pretty good from a mishpat perspective until we get to the book of Samuel, which is part of the Nevi'im. And First Samuel 2 says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. That Sentence in Hebrew was they were Ben Belial, which was they were sons of Belial, which, you know, sons of Beelzebub. They were worthless. Uh, Jesus references this in his uh, earthly ministry. So they did not know the Lord. The word custom there is mishpat. The mishpat of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest servants would come. And while the meat was boiling with a three pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificed and give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I'll take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. 
That's a lot of stuff that we don't understand right off the bat when we read the Bible because we don't know the culture. But if you've read through Exodus and Leviticus, treat the book of Leviticus, even Numbers and Deuteronomy, treat those books kind of like a commentary to your Bible time. If you keep those available to you, these things that don't make sense, you can reference um, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and you can go over there and you can begin to see what they're talking about. So part of the mishpat of the priest, the, the thing, remember we talked about it in the last lesson, uh, there was rights given to the priest. It was their mishpat. It was fair for them. They would stick the fork into the meat and what came off of the fork that belonged to them. The extra, they gave it unto God. The fat was to be offered unto God. And here these worthless men are completely obliterating uh, mishpat and they're just, they're messing everything up. They don't even know how any of this works. They've obviously not studied the Torah and things are getting very, very uh, messed up here. And this is the first time we have seen that the priesthood, okay, this is important. This is a major shift in the storyline of the Bible. The priesthood is now we're seeing it. Okay. The men of God don't know how to be mishpat anymore. We've seen it amongst the people in the nations, but the students of the word, the ones who should know this, now they don't. This is a major theme. And what happens next we as the readers are intended to see what happens next. For the very next verses, it says, but God was raising up Samuel. So while there was a group of, of young men, the sons of Eli, who were forgetting Mishpat, they didn't even know how to, they were, they were completely obliterating the Levitical law right here. Obviously, they weren't students of their Bible and they were losing touch with Mishpat and the law. And in the very next verse, we see, but God was raising up a prophet. Samuel was in the house of God and he was growing in favor with the Lord. You can read this story and immediately you see, okay, God's raising something else up. What's he going to do with this? And this, um, these young men, uh, they're, they're exercising Rasha, the opposite, the antithesis of Mishpat. And in obscurity, there's a prophet growing up. The prophet is in, in his childhood, doesn't even know he's called by God yet, but God knew he was looking and he was seeing injustices rising up in his house, his church. I'm going to pause right here. Again, I've said it in every lesson and I'm going to say it in this one. I'm speaking to the church. I'm not speaking to the world. I'm not trying to get the world to adhere to these principles because, uh, you know, we need to walk with them through salvation, all those things to get them in. I'm speaking to Holy Ghost filled people right now and I'm trying to advocate to us how to be god's house okay and that's part of this lesson tonight i want to show you these things so the house of god is getting corrupt his ministry is getting corrupt and god raises up someone to hold them accountable the hebrew word for prophet is navi which is where we get the word navaim anytime you see the the suffix im it's pluralizing it so the singular form of prophet is navi the plural form of prophet is navaim which is prophets and we see what it is because the definition of Navi is a spokesman, literally a protester. <laughs> okay. Uh, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to like push you in any direction. I just want the Bible to speak for itself. So the job of a Navi is to protest, to speak out within the church. They were, remember, you don't ever see the prophets going out um, and telling the world to be mishpat instead of God. We see them going out to the world. We see that with Jonah. But 
he wasn't he was telling them to repent he was not telling them to be mishpat and righteous because they didn't have a law they had they had no way to become just and righteous they didn't have anything to adhere to they had to come into the house they had to migrate to israel to get those laws so again the prophets are going to the nation of israel the house of god and they are protesting and saying you have gotten away from what we've been called to do in the torah which was justice and righteousness that's what was given to abraham to show forth the Lord's justice and righteousness through us. You've gotten away from that. The prophets would protest, holding the house of God accountable. So in one afternoon, Eli and his sons die, and the Ark of the Covenant was taken out of the camp. Then we see Samuel's sons do the same exact things that Eli's sons do. We read that in 1 Samuel um, chapter 8, which is, I believe, I did not put it in my notes uh, but it says, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside again after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. That is 1 Samuel 8, verse 3, if you want to look that up. They took bribes and perverted justice. So due to the lack of mishpat with Samuel's sons, the elders of Israel come to, to uh, Samuel and say, you're old and your sons are not walking in your ways. We need somebody to herald for us. Give us a king. This is the narrative, okay? Samuel gets ticked off. He says, you don't need a king. So he goes to the Lord in prayer. And the Lord tells Samuel, he says, don't get mad. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. Give them what they want and I'll show them what they really need through all this. Let them have their way. That's what This was God. His patience says, let them have their way and we'll learn a lesson through this. So he does. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, 10 through 18, you can read it. Samuel warns the people what you're going to get if you have a king. He says, if when you get a king, this is what's going to happen. He's going to create for himself an army. He's going to take your sons and he's going to assign them to the military and he's going to take for himself chariots and he's going to send your sons to battle and your sons will die. Your daughters are going to be taken as property. He says, all these things are going to happen when you take for yourself a king. I'm giving you a warning. Have your way, but just know, I told you so. This was the protesting of the prophets. 1 Samuel 9, this was all in 1 Samuel chapter 8, 10 through 18. He's warning them. And then immediately in 1 Samuel chapter 9, he anoints Saul as king. If you've been reading the Bible, you know how that turns out. So from here, we see the season of sorrows for this nation of new-natured people. King after king rises and corruption begins to take hold of Israel. And it gets to a point through 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, we then begin to see that Israel looks no different than the world. That's what we're intended to see. You have glimpses of moments with good kings, but ultimately every good king you read about in the book of Kings, you see, but they did not tear down the altars. You see another good king, but they did not tear down the altars. So we're seeing that the world is no different. What Samuel was staking down a flag of with his warning of getting a king, he said, guys, We've seen what kings do in Egypt. Remember? Remember Pharaoh? That's what you get when you ask for a king. That's what you're going to get. I'm just going to be the guy who goes ahead and warns you. Sure enough, Solomon comes onto the scene and it looks like the Bible talks about him being mishpat. But then his mishpat gets polluted and then he starts forcing slave labor on the Israelites to build his house. And I talked about this in my series in the day of the Lord. You can go watch it. And we see how Pharaoh got in his condition by reading about Solomon. Solomon becomes Pharaoh 2.0 and Israel is now Egypt. Why, how did they turn into Egypt? Because they lost Mishpat. This is a major, major thing. 
So God's ethics incarnate comes through the Nevi'im. The Navi comes in and they begin to show forth God's patience because God never just comes in and tears down a society until he first sends a prophet asking them to repent. God says, I'm going to send you a man of God. He did this with Egypt. He said, Pharaoh, you're not even my people and I'm going to give you an opportunity to repent. And he sends Moses, okay? 10 opportunities to repent. They don't do it. And the day of the Lord comes against that nation. Why? Because God heard the outcry of his people because they were oppressed. You, this is, this is just Bible. So then Israel becomes the new Egypt and God says, okay, I'm going to send prophets to you. They're going to give you an opportunity to repent. They're going to speak what thus saith the word of God. They're not going to be afraid of persecution. They're going to say the hard stuff. They're going to say things you're not going to like because they're my spokesman. They're not in this for a popularity contest. They're just going to say what needs to be said and they're going to speak purely Bible. And when they do, you have an opportunity. You can kill my prophets or you can repent. And we see that the capital city of Babylon, Nineveh, was more God-fearing than Israel because all of the prophets were run up into the hills and they were completely slandered for their protests. They did things, wild things, in sign of protest. One prophet stripped naked and ran through the street in a sign of protest, okay? Again, I'm talking about the prophets came to the house of God. They didn't go to the world telling them to repent of a lack of mishpat and righteousness because the world sins, that's what they do. The prophets were protesting in the church and they were saying, you have gotten away from mishpat and Sedekah. Okay, listen to the words of the first prophetic book, Amos, as he protests against Israel's transgression. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood, that means bitterness, a bitter fruit. O you who turn justice to bitterness and cast down righteousness to the earth. Seek God and not Rasha, evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord. I'm just going to give you, I have a lot of scriptures here. I may read through all of them. I may not. But I'm going to show you that this is not just something I'm just making up. Major theme of the 400 plus times you see uh, justice in the first testament, a majority of those times shows up in the Nevi'im. So check out Hosea 12, who was Amos's contemporary. They were the same age and they were both prophesying to the northern region of Israel. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. Both Amos and Hosea were prophesying to the northern region of Israel because remember the nation split through the kings. There was a division that took place. One portion went to Israel. The southern portion went to Judah. So check out the prophets that prophesy to the southern portion. This is where we get Micah. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the Rasha, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Micah is very much using poetic speech here. And he's like, you have tossed God's image to the wind like it's just a mere animal. That's what he's saying right here. You are supposed to hold God's image the highest in the land. 
the, the image of God was the highest thing on planet earth. This is Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. They know this, they should know this. And he's saying, you are totally treating God's image like it's just, a, just another piece of meat. What are you guys doing? And this is what he's telling them. And check out Micah 6. He just he keeps going on. He just he's dropping bombs here. He has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do mishpat and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And then Isaiah comes along, you know, just as if Micah and Hosea and Amos aren't enough. Then Isaiah comes and he just goes ham on the southern kingdom. He said, if the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Culturally, you need to know that the Jews looked at Sodom and Gomorrah as the most inhospitable place on the planet because they were rude to their guests, the angels. This is how they're viewing them. In North America, we view Sodom and Gomorrah, the greatest sin of sodomy. In um, Eastern cultures, they view Sodom and Gomorrah, the greatest sin was inhospitality. Uh, treating the image of God as trash is what they saw was the greater sin. So verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocations. That's the feast. That's Pentecost. That's all of that. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Check out this. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil, the rasha, of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do rasha. Learn to do good. Seek mishpat. Correct oppression. Bring mishpat to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, if you'll do all this, if you'll repent and go back to what I called you to do, they shall be as white as snow, though they are red like crimson, and they shall become like wool. You know what God is saying here through the prophet Isaiah? He's saying your church meetings mean nothing to me. You can come and lift your hands. You can offer up your, your vain repetition of sacrifices. That means nothing to me because you're not doing what I designed you to do. All of that was to keep the relationship with me right, but you have forsaken the relationship with your brothers. You have forsaken that. That's no longer right, so we're not right. And you think that you can continue to do your church services, going through the synagogue, offering sacrifices, and you think that that's going to help? You have forgot the whole purpose of this was to seek justice and to plead for the oppressed. Isaiah is holding nothing back. Look at verse 21 of Isaiah. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers, not even literal murderers, because they were, remember Jesus refers to, he said, don't even call your brother Raka, which means empty headed, dumb. Don't call your brother dumb, because if you do that, that's equal to murder. Jesus totally revolutionized all this stuff. He's saying, if you call the highest image on planet earth dumb, you have murdered. God was trying to, he was, he was merging together. And I'll discuss this more in lesson four, but he was merging together people and God. He said, the highest image on this planet is people. Don't talk about people. Don't gossip about people. Don't of any color 
of any background. This is why I personally, when I'm preaching, I don't bash other religions. Uh, do I agree with everything in the world? Absolutely not. But I have to fear the highest image on planet Earth, God's image. The church was supposed to herald God's image above everything. The church should detest when God's image is being taken advantage of. I am not just speaking to all the things that are going on in our world. Sinners sin. The world is going to do these things. The church has to be the, the nation of new natured people, the kingdom. And people should have should want to flock to the kingdom. And I believe that God's going to raise up a mighty church. I'm not a doom and gloom preacher. I'm just wanting to use these things to draw a connection that the church is supposed to be a place of peace where we hold the image of God in the highest of regards so that people say, oh, I want to go and be a part of that nation of new natured people. Look how they respect one another. Look how they love one another. Look how they wash one another's feet. And this is what the prophets was trying to do. They were trying to get, they were trying to get people back to loving one another. He's the prophets were protesting. We often think the prophets were all pointing towards something and they did. But the main obligation of a prophet was to protest and say, guys, you've missed the mark. Sin literally means missing the mark. You're sinning. You're not doing what you were called to do. The target is to hold God in the highest regard. Love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, thy mind, thy strength. And the second is like unto it. That's the target we're trying to hit. That is bullseye for us. That's the target. And if we're missing that, we're sinning. We're supposed to hold God in the highest regard and we're supposed to hold his image as unto that because God in the man Jesus melded those two together. The highest image on planet earth is our fellow man, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, I don't care, Native American, it does not matter, Russian, it doesn't matter, the image of God, even the people of another denominal church that you don't agree with, that's God's image. That is God's image. We're supposed to hold God's image to the highest. I don't care if that person is preaching Trinity. I know it probably makes you mad. I know that you don't agree with it, but that's still God's image. Can you sit down with God's image and have a discussion about what you don't agree on though? I'm not saying that, whatever, you can take that how you want to. Isaiah 5, because Isaiah just keeps going on. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, he found bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, he found an outcry. Woe is the church where there are people crying out in it saying, this, this church is not dealing out justice. And I'm not just talking about racial injustices within the church. That is obviously a reality, but any injustice whatsoever, how dare us demean the highest image on planet earth? I've learned a lesson. I'm going to go over and that's perfectly fine because I'm feeling this in the Holy Ghost. I have been learning over the past year that there are no dumb people. There's nobody dumb on this planet. They may be people that are uneducated, but every single human with a brain in their skull, I don't I don't care if that person is, is mentally handicapped. They are brilliant because it's God's image. And woe is us if we talk to somebody like they're buffoons. God's image is absolutely beautiful and absolutely brilliant. People may not have the same education as you, may not have a college degree or even a high school degree, but they're smart. They can still read if you like them or not. People know that. I have, I've come across people. My, I have an aunt who had brain meningitis and she doesn't have the mental capacity of even a seven-year-old. And she can look you in the eye and she knows if you like her or not. She knows if you're mistreating her. But people do it because they think she's, she's slow. She's brilliant. 
Woe is us. We have become arrogant when we treat God's image as anything lesser than simply that, the image of God. Isaiah 16, because he just keeps going on. Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Now Isaiah is switching gears, and he says, we're going to get a better king. There's going to be a king that comes along, and this he's, he's protesting forward. We're going to get a man through the line of the root of David, and he's going to come, and he's going to show us how to do this whole righteous and justice thing. He's going to be the one who comes and heralds. He's going to come and speak on behalf of the Gentiles. He's going to go and he's going to sit with a harlot. I'm going to give away my whole next lesson. He's going to go and speak to Samaritans who we're prejudiced against. And Jesus is going to show us this whole justice and righteousness thing. Isaiah 28, because he just keeps going on. And I will make justice the line. Check this out. And righteousness the plumb line. You know what Jesus said or what God is saying here through the prophet Isaiah, he said, you know how I'm going to measure the size of my church? It's not going to be with numbers. It's not going to be with buildings. The way I'm going to measure the size, the way I'm going to measure the size of my church is I'm going to measure, I'm going to stretch out a measuring line of justice. And that's how large I'm going to determine the church is. And I'm going to determine if that church is level. That's what a plumb line is. I'm going to drop a plumb line of righteousness to see if that church is how big it is and how level it is. So you know what God does when his house isn't big and when it's not level he comes and he starts breaking up fallow ground through the prophets and they start pulling up old bricks and old ideology and they start planting true bricks from from grace and true bricks of truth and they start planting these bricks and then he says okay it's getting a little bit out of level so he comes in with his with his gentle hand of the fivefold. That's what the fivefold is supposed to do and come in gently go to them in private and start tapping walls back into alignment making sure the church is level. This is what the ministry is supposed to do. And this is what I'm trying to do right now. I've had to analyze me and the Lord has taken a hammer to me and tapped me back into plumb. And the way he does that is sometimes he allows hard situations and hard conversations. And I said, Oh God, and this is where we have to humble ourselves. Oh God, I am not truly righteous. Thank you for coming and tapping on me and getting me back in level because we're the house now. And God is right now through this whole season, he is plowing up hearts and we're being exposed right now. Everything has been tossed. Jesus just came through America and flipped a bunch of tables. He came through the synagogues of America and he's flipping tables over everywhere. And he's making us analyze to see how big the house is. Is it measured with justice? Is it level with righteousness? That's up to us to decide. Jeremiah then comes and he speaks out. Jeremiah 4. This is what he says. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. Jeremiah just keeps going on. They have grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds in deeds of, of Rasha. They judge not with justice, with mishpat, the cause of the fatherless, to make it prosper. And they do not defend the rights of the needy. Shall I not punish them for these things, declare the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? Basically what God is saying is if I don't correct this, I'm not just. If I don't come and, and break up this, this house, then I'm not righteous. And God says, but before I come and really drop the hammer through the day of the Lord, I'm going to send a prophet to you and give you an opportunity to repent because I am just. The, the prophets protesting was God's justiceness. They were coming with peace first and nobody listened. So then God said, okay, you didn't listen to them. Now you're going to get where I come through as the day of the Lord. You can go listen to that whole series that I, that I just taught on, on, on YouTube. Jeremiah 5, or I just read that, Jeremiah 7. 
For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the, the immigrant, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal? He's going through and he's saying, it, you know, holding God's image high, it's, it's women, it's other ethnicities, it's, it's uh, the widow, it's the orphan, the poor, it's anybody that you're, people you're calling dumb, people you don't think matter. This is, this is a big issue. It's, this is racial issues. This is the image of God issues. This is all part of what God is trying to show here. He said, you're, you're committing adultery. You've now tossed women to the trash. You're swearing now. You're, you're lying on your brother and you're making them look bad. Make, you're making offerings to Baal. Now you're sinning against me. Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered. Only to go on doing all these abominations. He's like, you're going to church and you're worshiping me and your hearts are far from me is what he's saying here. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers? Does that sound familiar? In our eyes, behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. I could go on and on and on and on. There are hundreds of scriptures like this. These are just but a few. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you Jeremiah 9. It says, thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 9, 23. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. If you want to brag on yourself, if you want a successful ministry, this is what you do. Brag that you know him, that he is the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. I am so thankful that the church is advocating for unborn babies being aborted. That is the vulnerable in our society. That is the vulnerable. Continue to advocate for that. I am so thankful for every person that is advocating for equal opportunity in the church, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, any nationality. Thank you for doing that. But if we, we, we have to go all the way with this, God's image is the highest in the land. We cannot, and I know this is gonna rub somebody raw, but please study it yourself, study it yourself. Woe is us if we are advocating for the rights of unborn babies, but then we say, don't let them come to America, not, don't let them come to our borders, or my favorite, even heaven has walls and strict border patrol. Please, please study that in context, please. Because if you read the prophets, this is what God says through the prophets. He says, I'm going to tear down my walls and everyone will have access to this kingdom. That was the prophecy of Jesus. And that's what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. For this promise is unto you and to all that are afar off, even as many as our, the Lord our God shall call. Okay? This is, we, we have to advocate for God's image. I am not just going to, to hone on the obvious that's going on. The, the, the obvious racism in America. Uh, I can't speak on behalf of the world, 
The world sins. The church, though, the church has to be the nation of new nature people. And we have to hold the image of God as the highest image on the planet. We cannot be a new natured people if we get on Facebook and we say, yeah, I advocate for unborn babies, but I don't want Syrians in my nation. We can't do that. We can't say that. Not if we really believe Bible. We cannot be closet racists and follow this book. Whatever is in the image of God, it is the highest image in the land. It is the highest image in the land. And we are supposed to love that image. Do we agree with the image? No, I'm not telling you to agree with sin. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you to hold God's image as the highest in the land and go love God's image and bring them into the nation of new natured people. Let's not allow our social media feeds to be confusing. Okay, yeah, I'm going to speak on behalf of the unborn baby, but I'm not okay with, you know, people coming into America, all that stuff. I'm just asking you to read Bible. In fact, um, I'm going to, this just hit me. I want to, I want to find this here. Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, do not hold back. This is Isaiah 58. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and see you not? The nation began to fast and God wasn't answering them. Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You're just fasting. You're just fasting to fix things. You're not fasting to really know me. And you oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist, a rasha fist. Fasting like yours this day, this is God speaking, will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, saith God? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast? And a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Check it out. If you do this, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, your sadiq. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. God spoke to me today and he says, I've gone through and I have flipped over every table and I'm just exposing things right now. I'm not saying that all the churches, I've been to some great churches. I get to travel and see some amazing Sadiq churches and I'm so thankful for them. I don't want to lump the entire church as terrible. I am asking anybody who watches this, analyze yourself and let's be that church, that, that nation of new natured people, the kingdom that people want to be a part of. Oh, you respect one another. You wash one another's feet. You love one another. I, oh, I love, I've not seen such humility and love for people. Yes, I would want, I would love to come and sit at, across your table because I see the way you treat your wife. I see the way you treat your husband. I long for that type of respect. When you do that, he says, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall break up speedily. Search it yourself. 
take all these scriptures, analyze them. I'm not saying that this is the only theme in the Bible, but it is a major theme. If you have anything that you disagree with, don't go bashing me on social media. Don't go talking about me to somebody else. If you have a problem with anything I've taught, email me, ajwholloway at aol.com. Talk to me. If you have a problem with your brother, go to them in private. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Don't go speaking it across the rooftops. By the way, fun Hebrew word. Uh, do you know what the Hebrew word for gossip is? It's Satan, which is where we get our word Satan. Don't go talking about me. Come and just talk to me. Let's just, let's do this thing right. We're in the last hours. Let's do it right. I love you. I am so thankful for every single person that is a true Sadiq. I'm thankful for every mishpat human being. I've seen them. I've talked with you. I'm so thankful for you. And this lesson is not a rebuke. It is, it is my calling. Every, every message God gives me, I, I've asked him to stop and he won't. Every message he gives me are these hard ones. I have to do what I'm called to do. And this is what I'm doing. I am holding up the banner and saying, the world's going to do their thing. But in the midst of all these other nations, let people look and see a nation of new natured people and says, oh, how I would long to be a part of that body of people. In Jesus name, I love you. I pray that you know where my heart is with this. I pray that you study these scriptures. You don't have to take my word for it. I'm not asking you to. You can go study it yourself. You can do a Google search and you can see that Jewish philanthropists, their, their major word is mishpat. That's the word that they herald. That's the word, that's the banner they carry, Jewish philanthropists. In Tel Aviv today, the most carnal part of Israel, the, their philanthropists still uphold mishpat and tzedakah. Study it yourself. Study the major theme of the, of the Navi. Study it yourself. You'll see. You'll see. I'm not making any of this up. It's just there. In Jesus' name, I pray this is a blessing.